Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up Podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Uh, I've had a fairly relaxed week this week while some of us have been slaving away at work. Uh, how's your week been, Ian? Doing two fucking people's jobs, haven't I? Because of some fucking people fucking off to Blackpool and uh, the Chav City that it is. But um, yeah, busy, gone gone quick, but um, enough about work. Can't be asked with it. Done. Fucking too many, <laughs> spoken to too many, too many lunatics today to be uh, to be uh, bothered about it. So uh, I'm home, uh, beer in hand and uh, ready to roll. I tried my first Guinness this weekend, showed you, didn't I? It was what, what did you awful. say? What What did you say you thought it tasted like? Uh, bacon. Like, what the fuck like, is wrong with your taste buds? Like, How like the fuck? Pissy bacon. It was I've horrible. Heard a lot of many things uh, say people talk, say what it tastes like. I've never, ever heard anyone say it tastes like bacon. So um, I get told that I've got ADHD because apparently I show like hyper attention towards things and that as fixation has been on um a guy called the guinness guru on youtube and he basically goes around all at uk trying pints of guinness and saying it's creamy and there's some I, I bet he's never said it. ever once that a pint tastes like bacon he, he looks like he enjoys it every single time and he doesn't half gulp them down like he has like four gulps per drink and he, he'll drink it within three different attempts um but he always says it's right creamy and stuff. And it, it one point he said it was like milk. It were horrible. It it just tasted like water, like flavorless bacon, greasy water. Don't know how anyone can drink that and think it's creamy or or sticky. You're a lunatic, mate. Bacon's mental, but it, it's definitely one of those old age acquired things that like I tried a pint when I was young and I was like, what the fuck is this shit? And then I didn't start drinking probably Guinness till like early thirties. But, um, yeah, it's weird how your taste buds change, but yeah, love love me a pint of Guinness, as, as you know. That's what I drink when we're out. But uh, I've it's never not thick, ever though, heard. Is it? The, the weird thing, but don't really got a side off track. But you, if you want to really try Guinness, you've got to try it in Ireland. It's completely different. It's really weird how people say that. But you're here. I'm sure your guru would have said this. But you take try try a pint in Guinness of in Ireland, and it's like a million times better than anywhere else. It's indescribable. The uh, alleged um, bullshit behind it is it doesn't travel well. So the fact that it's made in Ireland, it stays better. Ironically, a nice little fact for you, the only other place on the planet Guinness fans say Guinness tastes as good as it does in Ireland is Jamaica for some reason, because apparently it's made in Jamaica as well. But um, an, an English pint is completely different to a, a pint in Ireland. But yeah, love me a pint of Guinness. And it's, 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 it's just downable. You know me, like I might be a bit slow to start with. You've had half a pint. I've had like two slips. It's like, right, that's time to move on. You can just chug it. Meg got a um, picture of Woo Woo. She was drinking that an hour on me uh, Bunkai Pierre's. And we got the Guinness try. I tried some of that. Like, this is absolutely disgusting. She downed the pint of Guinness while she was drinking the Woo Woo. Or like, what? What's going I told on here? She's more manly than you, you little pussy. Well, <laughs> Oh, well, first of all, it's probably most attracted to where I've ever been. But secondly, I were a bit taken aback. Like, I, don't, I can't believe she drank it that quick. Uh, we, digress. we digress. We um, digress. Ian, welcome to the sugar era. Or era. It does seem that way. Um, for one of the first times ever, you actually called a fight right and I got it wrong. Um, Standard. I mean, we might as well start there, mightn't we, in terms of 292. Um 
bantamweight title. Um, Sterling, champion, 23 and 3 against uh, number two ranked Sugar, 16 and 1. Uh, I thought it was quite interesting as they came out that uh, the champ was booed quite severely. Sugar's clearly the, the crowd favourite, and I'll come on to a little bit more about him uh, as we go on. I thought in terms of the first round, it was incredibly tepid. Um, St- uh, Sh- Sugar is a very technical striker, and I got the feeling that he was feeling out, staying on the outside, um, you know, trying to not let Sterling get a hold of him. Uh, very close round, and in fact, it could easily have been a 10-10 round bar the last five seconds, which was definitely a round steal from Sterling because I think it was something ridiculous. I heard on commentary like six significant strikes each until that final bit where Sterling got him against the cage, got in some shots, no real damaging shots, but started to, to hit him a bit and ended up with uh, 21 to 6 in terms of um, significant shots-wise. So Sterling definitely got that round for me to start with right at the end, even though um, it was very, very close. Second round comes out. Um, Amali uh, falls, so uh, uh, Sugar dives in, but Amali manages to hold him off. And then very Connor uh, Aldo reminiscent, just... Absolutely perfect timing. Lets him fly in, faints to the left, bam, pops him with that fucking right hand. Um, kind of doubles the impact for for the non again that the casual fan because he's moving in. Sugar hits him, bam, puts him down. Um, my own view. I know. I think you disagree with this one. I thought it was a bit of an early stoppage. Um, I only thought that. Sugar landed two big hammer fists. Um, when you're the champ, my own view is you deserve the chance to at least try and survive a little bit longer. So I thought that it was a bit of an early stoppage, even though it was probably unlikely that Sterling was going to recover from that point. Yeah, I I completely disagree. I've seen a few people on social media and stuff saying it's nearly stoppage. I don't think it was. I think if you watch it back again, he seems to be out at one point and he gets brought back, ironically, because of the punches. You um, often get that, though. Someone will be out and then a punch kind of brings them back. But I I, I think he could, I, I felt a bit sorry for him. I thought the judge could have let it go a bit longer. I don't, don't think it would have made a difference. I think Sugar was put all over him. The only thing you would have said is if he could have survived, uh, Sugar was expending a lot of energy going full out for the finish. And if, if Sterling somehow had managed to grab a leg, take him down, how gassed would would Sugar have been? But that man is a is a a sniper with his punches. He has Connor esque kind of the death death touch in those punches, which actually is is really weird because he looks like such a frail guy. He's not big as he's not hugely ripped. He's definitely put on muscle mass since uh, he, he won the uh, Dana White Contender Series. But um, for me, he's particularly with his personality, um, he's thrust himself into the top three. I would personally say in terms of star power with the X Factor. Uh, and for me, the biggest stars now in the UFC, uh, probably in this order, are Connor, John Jones and O'Malley. In terms of star power, then are we just saying 
draw more than anything because obviously Volk yeah yeah so, has to be he's certainly not guys. he's yeah. definitely not the the best third best fighter in terms of pound for pound rankings I did see that he'd moved up to I've got a little note here I think he eighth. moved up to number eight that's right yeah. in the pound for pound rankings um there's got uh, a lot of options for him next. Uh, I mean, the, the the very obvious, if there's not an uh, 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 immediate rematch, which I think would be difficult, would be Dashvili, because Dashvili has been piling up the wins. But obviously, the, the blockage there was he's a training partner and best mate of uh, Sterling and said he'd never fight. So he is very deserving of the next title. Uh, you could have a Yan rematch would be an option given the 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 closeness of the match between Yan and uh O'Malley when they fought. But I thought what was interesting and I always like with fighters is he called out Chio Vieira uh Vera because Chio is the only man to have beaten him. Chio was on the card. Chio is a lot lower in the rankings than those other two, but clearly O'Malley wants to avenge that previous loss on his record, which is something I always like fighters to do. You know, you, you've beaten me, right? I want to fucking take you on again. Yeah, um, I'll be interested to see where he goes next. Obviously, I'm the king of predictions now, so I could probably call this spot on. I'm not gonna. I'm not Go gonna on then. Decide. I'm, I'm not gonna. Ass, come, you on. Know. come on, I'm my, not gonna. My... <laughs> I've got um, a massive dick, I... but I'm not gonna use it. Like, what, 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 what do you mean? Exactly. Exactly. Um, I thought it was quite funny as well, just because you mentioned the pound for pound rankings. Usman actually went up. Didn't he? Um, bearing in mind, obviously, he hasn't lost in it. He hasn't won in a, a few fights now. Um, but because Sterling dropped from six to nine, it pushes Usman up. And I, I thought that were quite. Um, it's funny how the rankings work, isn't it? Really, but yeah, I, I think Dashvili is definitely the most deserving of the next shot, and I could see that happening. Uh, obviously, he's, he's a bad matchup as well. But then he, saying he's that, he's, he's, very, he's very similar to Sterling in terms of a, a top heavy wrestler. And obviously, that didn't work out so well for Sterling. Um, so, but I, I would totally agree. I think he's the most deserving fighter and should be next. Uh, I don't feel that Sugar's quite in that McGregor sort of uh, point of his career or star power where he can call who he wants next. So even though he called out Cheeto and Cheeto was on the card and did win and we'll come on to that. But um, I think that's O'Malley looking for a slightly easier fight. There's obviously a bit of build, a bit of background with Dashvili when he came into the, the ring before and nicked his jacket, didn't he? Um, so that there's a bit of a storyline they can build there, but that would be the, certainly if you're talking deserving wise, I think Dashvili is actually ranked number one. Was ranked above Sterling uh, in the rankings prior to this, so that would be the fight to make for me personally. He's the heaviest, uh, heavy favorite. Sorry, in terms of if that fight went ahead, because obviously, as you see with betting lines, they always tend to put them forward without anything actually being organised. Um, O'Malley would be the favorite against Vera, and O'Malley would be the underdog quite heavily as well against Dashvili. I think he was two to one odds on with Dashvili when I saw that. So. They're going with what you've said. They think he's a bad matchup for him. Be interesting, and it's interesting to see what O'Malley does. Um, whether they try to put him in somewhere quickly, do they save him for the? Well, he UFC didn't take much damage, did he? So three hundred would be an obvious one to stick him on. We, we've talked. We keep coming back to three hundred and the, the Centennial card and how they stack it. 
given that he didn't take much damage. Um, that would be my suggestion would be that's one to ch- chuck on 300 for uh, a title. And they tend to go three or four titles on a centennial card. So we'll wait and see as that unfolds. But um, definitely Dash Philly for me should be the next fight. Yeah. Um, Zhang Weili was extremely dominant. I mean, I, I think both of us called this absolutely spot on. Neither of us surprised by it. And she was assessing her options going forward. And I know you're going to cover this fight in just a second, but she was assessing her options going forward. And I'm quite interested to see if she goes after that possible pursuit of a, a champ champ status. I mean, it gets a bit carried away now. Everybody, Everybody's after the champ champ status now, aren't they? Um Again, with with women's MMA, there aren't as many top elite challengers, so she could definitely go up a weight. I would have thought relatively easily uh, and take on the next uh, fight. I mean, absolute domination against Lemos. I mean, she actually set a record uh, in women's MMA history for the the biggest differential in significant strikes: two hundred and eighty-eight to twenty-one. Um, so she just absolutely dominated her from, from start to finish. If she was going to stay in the, the division she's in, um, the number two current ranked is Carla Esparza, who has already lost to Zhang. So that's a hard sell, uh, for, for the next match. I would guess that would therefore put forward, uh, the two next best, most viable options would be an all Chinese fight against. I'm not going to attempt her name. Believe it is Yang Zhuan at number three, or Tatiana Suarez as number four. So I would guess uh, one of them would be the next obvious challenge for her, unless she does decide to go up for the for the champ champ status. I thought it was quite funny. One of the comments that I saw was. Um... Whaley beat up Lemos so badly, it gave one of the judges brain damage because, of course, despite the, the domination, one of the judges randomly gave Lemos one of the rounds. I think it was the fourth round. And I've no idea how. And there was a couple the- of times, though, that she had, in all fairness, she had two pretty tight-looking darse chokes she went for. I think one was in the first round and one was in the fourth round where Wei, Wei Li Zhang... Um, Defended it very well. Good, very good jiu-jitsu in terms of the movement of her body, uh, jumping over to avoid getting caught in the darts. Um, I have got some notes on the rounds, but it feels a little bit unnecessary to run through them because <laughs> it was just rinse and repeat, wasn't it? She just took her down, had her way with her, ground and pounded her each time. Um, incredible endurance from Zhang in terms of that. But equally, you would got to give some props to to Lemos for her durability and heart in taking the beating that she did uh, and not get finished. So um, good fight. Um, But yeah, it feels like it's a little bit similar. Each round that I've got kind of is exactly the same. Big shot. Zhang takes her down. But the interesting stat I would say I had from that, that Lemos had an 82% takedown defense record before fighting Zhang and I think Zhang got a six for six in terms of takedown so completely had her way with her and uh, domination all the way through. There's no question for me that Zhang really is the best 
pound for pound female fighter in the world at the moment. There, there isn't anyone that comes close. We obviously went into quite a lot of detail about her and uh, JJ in the the last discussion that we had in the last episode that we had. I don't think we need to go too much into detail again here, but she's just dominant. There's just no one in that division that can come close to her, and you could put anyone in that ring with her, and you're just going to get the same over and over again in terms of the result. I mean, I slightly disagree with you there. I think Shevchenko, since the Nunes has retired, her and Nunes, uh, sorry, her and Shevchenko would be up there both tied for me in terms of pound for pound, the two best women fighters. Um, I think it's, she is, she's she's definitely there, you know, one or two undoubtedly, but um, Shevchenko Bullet is um, another sensational fighter that doesn't maybe get the the credit that she deserves but um, that would be a wonderful fight, I think, sticking them two together. I think Shevchenko is the weight higher. So if there were gonna, if she was going to bump up, that would be a, a super fight, in inverted commas, from, from the women's perspective. And certainly one I'd love to see, because I'm a ma- massive Shevchenko fan. She's probably my favourite since Nunes is retired. As much as I appreciate Zhang, she doesn't have what I would call the most fan-friendly approach to fighting. She's very... It's not boring, but she's just dominant. Whereas Shevchenko is a fabulous kickboxer, uh, you know, insanely good on her feet uh, and puts on more exciting fights to, to watch, if I'm being honest. But yeah, undoubtedly, they're the, the one and two for the pound for pound ranking since Nunes' retirement. One point on that, which I heard this week, which I didn't know about. Um, I'm uh, not sure if you'd heard this. Nunes originally. Um, I understood her retirement was based to wanting to start a family with her partner and, you know, kind of give it up. Um, one thing that I heard on Rogan was actually she has insane nerve damage in her thighs and legs from all the kicks she's done. So there was a medical aspect of her retirement as well that the doctors just said, look, you cannot keep punishing your legs in the way that they are, or you're going to end up in a wheelchair with with the nerve damage you've done to your shins over the course of your career. So that was a, a new take on her retirement for me. Well, she was going to retire in 2021, wasn't she, after she lost against Pena um, at UFC 269. Oh, they were the rumours, and then she came out and confirmed it after she'd retired this time that she essentially said, I did strongly consider it, but I decided not to retire because if I retired at that point, I'd be leaving my belt with Pena and she didn't want to leave it with Pena at all. Yeah. And obviously uh, the rest is history. Um, but yeah, it comes with the territory, doesn't it, really? I mean, it gets to that point where if you're in a, a fighting game, you're going to get these types of injuries unless you're a very, very lucky person or somehow the swiftest person ever known to man. So Everyone gets yeah. injuries and all MMA fighters, ultimately, their bodies are going to be absolutely fucked by the end of their careers. But it's a shame if that is the case and that is what has uh, prompted her retirement preemptively, shall we say, rather than, than wanting to start uh, a family. Um, that's a real shame because just a couple more wins under her belt and she could have, you know, I mean, I think she's the, the GOAT anyway. I think most people would agree but she could have really cemented that legacy with a couple more wins, even though there wasn't really any 
particularly dangerous challenges on the horizon for her. But yeah, no, I just heard that this week and I thought it was worth a mention because I hadn't heard that aspect of it. I thought it was purely, uh, I want to give up fighting. I want to start a family. I want to travel the world. You know, I've made my money. But yeah, it seems there was a a medical aspect to uh, her retirement as well. Uh, Rest of the... Uh, fights on the card then so you've got Ian Gary uh, against Magna we spoke about that last week Ian Gary Machado I mean stole the show for me apart from uh, Sugar obviously uh, incredibly impressive Uh, came in at ranked 13 12 and 0 uh, fighting Neil Magny who we've mentioned before is a a high level gatekeeper 28 and 11 Uh, I mean a, a real veteran but uh, 31 UFC fights and the most wins in welterweight history. Just to give you a bit of background of the the quality of the guy that he is, um, he was a late replacement, obviously for uh for Magni Magni. Uh, sorry, Gary was supposed to be fighting um Jeff Neal, and uh, he came in late, but he got absolutely smashed. And I don't remember. Uh, I've got it here. I've never seen anyone hit the deck from kicks five times in a single fight. His leg was chewed up worse than I've seen in a long time. Uh, Gary's kicks are phenomenal. He throws them with with uh, incredible accuracy. Uh, he disguises them incredibly well. They come from nowhere. There's no real tell. Uh, a lot of fighters are quite telegraphed with it, but he absolutely smashed him. Uh, I mean, one of the judges, I'm not sure I can quite agree with the 30-24, which was three 10-8 rounds. I thought that was uh, a little bit over the top. But yeah, a- absolute domination from, from start to finish. Um, and you could see Magni by the second and third rounds. He, he's literally limping. He's, he's, his leg is useless. It's absolutely chewed up. And Ian Gary Machado is on his way to stardom uh, for sure. He has taken uh, Magny's position at 11 in the rankings. i got to be honest, I thought he might have gone a bit higher. Um, and he called out Stephen Thompson, uh, ranked number seven. Uh, dangerous fight. Thompson is is, is fading, uh, but is one of the best, you know, unbelievable. He's an unbeaten kickboxer, something like 41-0 uh, record in kickboxing before he, he joined the uh, UFC. And I think uh, Ian Gary wants to display how good a uh, technical uh, kickboxer he is against another striker. So ballsy call out, even though I felt like Thompson um, is is slightly on the slide. But that that could easily be uh, the next fight for, for for Ian Gary Machado, I would say. Yeah, and he did look class. I personally wouldn't have given um, that many. 10-8 rounds. I had the last one as a 10-8 round, definitely. But two 10-9s for me. I, yeah. I agree. 10-8, yeah. the last one. Two 10-9s two with the other ones. Um, so I agree. I think the judges um, got one of them. Again, maybe we're still suffering from that brain damage. But um, yeah, I mean, three 10-8s was ridiculous. De- definitely the first two rounds, he, he absolutely mauled him, but not enough for a 10-8 uh, in all three rounds for me. That was crazy. Uh, rest of the card, any other fights in particular you want to pick out? 
Only a couple. I mean, obviously, Cheeto Vera, we were talking about um, purely because of his uh, ties to Amali and the fact that he's the only man to have beaten him uh, for uh, Munez. Uh, again, brief overview. Very good jabs from Vera in, in, in uh, round one. That was money in the bank. Uh, just kept hitting him with that really stiff jab and you could see that that was hurting him. Um, Munez was working a lot harder in the second round on the kicks. Um, I think it would be fair to say Munez had a lot more uh, volume in terms of strikes landed, whereas Vera landed the harder shots in round two. Uh, And round three was a really close round for me. Very, very close. Um, It definitely could have gone either way. That one, very, very close. Um, But I think purely if you look at it on the damage done and the two fighters at the end of the fight, Vera won it. But I can't disagree with that. But that was an incredibly close fight. And you could definitely make an argument that Munez won that fight equally. Based on that showing there, do you think that O'Malley just walks through him this time if they do rematch? Um, Yes, but Cheeto's one of those guys that has got a really kind of... um, a real spectrum of performances. Um, you know, sometimes he looks like a world beater and ready to, to fight for the title. Other times he has these games where he doesn't really fight, look like he's quite trained maybe well enough or he's just not prepared, you know, etc. But obviously it's no joke. He, he did beat him a couple of years ago. Uh, Mali has significantly improved since then. And I think if you put the Mali... Uh, O'Malley, sorry, from from Saturday night in against the the Vera from Saturday night, it would probably be a walkover. Any others? I know we mentioned about uh, Chris Weidman. Yeah, um, only one. That was the only other one I was going to mention. I mean, he lost again. I mean, I'm not sure how badly he saw. He got his leg fucked up. His leg got absolutely chewed up from Tavares. He was going after it. I thought Tavares was actually quite admirable and honourable in that he wasn't kicking Weidman's known weakness leg in terms of the one that got broken that we've gone over times before with that incredibly bad leg break, which is, you know, some people, it's a fight, look for the way to win, you know, target someone's weakness. If they've got a weak leg like that, fuck it up. But actually he completely fucked up the other leg, um, but um, he looks done for me, Weidman, and he has done for his last few fights. And I saw that in the, the press conference afterwards, Dana actually begged him, his exact words were begged him to retire and say, look, you, you done, you done, Chris. So um, I don't see him getting another fight in the UFC, whether he himself feels his career is done yet and he wants to, to go to a, another promotion PFL, Bellator, and, and maybe take on some lower opposition to, to to get a bit more money. That's entirely his call. But yeah, he, look, he, he looks a spent for, sadly, compared to the, the guy that broke Anderson's incredible winning streak of 13 wins. Well, this weekend, we've got uh, UFC Singapore, which is Holloway versus the Korean Zombie. It's just kind of snuck up out of nowhere and the rest of the card as it always tends to be on these types of events uh, isn't that great uh it's not one that i'm going to personally be staying up for definitely one that i'll catch the uh the fight the following day i'll find uh somewhere to watch it uh on the sunday 
Um, Holloway's lengthy winning streak that's eventually carried him to the top of the division and, and superstar status in the sport be- began in Singapore a decade ago. So there's some um, fairy tale about this and him returning to it. Obviously, after posting that unanimous win over uh, Arnold Allen earlier in the year, where a bit disappointing for us, or certainly for me, because I thought Allen were going to go on to do big things in the division. But clearly, it reaffirmed Holloway standing as the unquestioned top contender in that division. He's back uh, to face off against the Korean Zombie. Me and you always like seeing the Korean Zombie. He's always very, very entertaining. I am not sure if I'm going to enjoy this one in particular, though. It's weird that Holloway and Korean Zombie have never had a fight before. And Holloway's a huge favourite going into it. Korean Zombie, I think he's 36 now. And he's not really had any consistency in recent years. He's won two and lost two of his last four. Obviously, he fought Volk. And that only were, were going to go one way before the fight. And it did only go that way. Um, what I would say is Holloway hasn't knocked someone out or won a fight by stoppage since 2018. But it's very rare that the Korean Zombie goes the distance. So this might be a bit of a barnstormer. I can see Holloway getting a stoppage here. It's going to be sad to see because, as I say, I always like Korean Zombie. But is there any real way that you can see the Korean Zombie winning this? I mean, again, he's he's one of the most durable fighters in the UFC. I mean, that man, the punishment he's taken, again, one that I'm no medical expert, but that poor bastard's definitely going to have CTE when his career is done because he has taken some absolute beatings throughout his career and just walks forward always happy to take one to give one um Holloway sadly is 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 fading was you know plenty of people would have him as the the greatest featherweight of all time given his his achievements maybe before Volk um and you know is is three fights with Volk but um yeah I would tend to agree with you I think it's uh another one for Holloway um again Holloway, I feel he's he's in that difficult position given his his losses to Volk. I don't think he can really get a fourth fight, uh, and if he did, I don't think it would go exactly the same way. He's just going to now be the guy that fights those top contenders, and he's going to be the guy that the up and comers uh, are fed for the, the the passing of the torch moment. You know, someone suddenly beats Holloway, they're going to be talked about as right now. They're maybe ready to take on Volk, but. Which One is other what, fight, Alan. Alan was going to be, and I think that's what they were hoping would happen in that. But it, obviously, inevitably, it didn't happen. It's a weird division because essentially Volk is far and above the rest, and then Holloway is below him, but he's also far and above the rest of the division. So it, it's difficult, really, because yeah, unless there's a new up and comer that's going to shock. I mean, you've got a lot Holloway. of fighters in there that have just dropped off. I mean, Brian T City. Uh, at one point looked absolutely phenomenal and was flying and obviously fought for the interim. He's dropped off and his performances uh, have significantly dropped. You've obviously got Yair Rodriguez uh, that, again, can be a little bit hit and miss uh, with his with his flashy strikes. Um, just one point I would say that circling back to Volk that I meant to mention earlier, which I thought was uh, actually really nice to see in an incredibly honest appraisal from Sterling um, in his fight is obviously he'd said if he won, he was going to try and move up to uh, featherweight to take on Volk for the, for the champ champ status. And uh, during the post-match uh, or post-fight interview, 
with Rogan. Uh, Rogan asked what's next for him. Uh, and he said, I've got a lot of thinking to do because if Sugar's just done that to me, imagine what Volk would do to me. And I thought that was quite, you know, uh, refreshingly honest of a fighter to actually, you know, normally I can take whoever, I'll come back from this, but actually to say, do you know what? I might need to rethink those plans because a guy who's quite skinny and, um, you know, whilst he's got power beyond his looks, you know, Volk would destroy Sterling based on that performance. So uh, I think um, Sterling's got a, a lot of thinking to do and maybe might want to hang around at um, Bantamweight for a little bit longer, although I get the feeling the weight cut is draining on him. So maybe he does go up to featherweight, but he just fights a few lower level, you know, top four, top five fighters first before building his way up to see if he can try and take on Volk because he would what be a new Holloway? challenge. He would Holloway be a new challenge as well for Volk because obviously Volk has run through the majority of the, the rest of the division, really. He's cleaned that division out, which is ultimately what led him to chase the champ champ status himself against Islam. So it would be another fight for uh, Volk at bantamweight, but I think Volk destroys him personally. Which is why I'd put him against, uh, if he does move up against Holloway first, because at least that would be some semblance of entertainment. And I agree, uh, if he gets put up against Volk or he does earn that fight against Volk, he'll just get put straight back down. There's no one really that can touch him at this point in time in that division. So um, last thing on MMA, Savannah Marshall, weirdly enough, uh, the boxer, obviously currently a unified champion, uh, has signed a deal with MMA organisation PFL. Uh, so it'll run in tandem with a boxing career. She has said specifically that she wants revenge and a rematch against Clarissa Shields, even if that means to chase her into a different sport. And obviously, Shields is, is part of PFL as well. Uh, Marshall intends to defend her boxing titles next against Shadassia Green, I believe it is. Um, and she just essentially has come out and said, I couldn't have missed the opportunity. The PFL is one of the most innovative sports organizations in the world to be fighting alongside. And you're going to love this bit. Kayla Harrison, Amanda Serrano and Jake Paul. It's an incredible opportunity. And I'm Fuck thrilled me. that the PFL want me to be part of it. I feel like they've asked her to say that. Ah, oh, they they fed her that for sure, yeah. and I mean the thing is with that is if she did fight Clarissa Shields, it's going to be a boxing match in the cage, isn't it? Yeah, you know, unless one of them is, uh, I mean, the sensible thing for either of them there, or particularly uh, Marshall, given that she lost to Shields, would be work on a ground. You know, you're good enough boxing, clearly get yourself to the best gym in terms of wrestling and takedowns and just surprise Shields. Shields will will think that this is going to be another kind of stand-up bang. It's going to be a boxing match, basically, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the cage. She should, she should adopt a different strategy and um, get some jiu-jitsu, some serious wrestling training under her belt uh, and just come out of nowhere, take her down and try and fuck her up on the floor. But equally, I'm sure Clarissa Shields is not daft enough to not think that that's what she will do. Uh, so I'm sure she would be take, adopting a very similar approach that my boxing and my striking doesn't really need any work. Um, but I say boxing, striking, obviously kicks come into play. And, um, you know, the best boxer in the world can be completely debilitated by a couple of strong leg kicks. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly they put that fight together. 
And I'd be interested to know the training regimes of both of them at the moment, what they're focusing on in their uh, their training. Because um, to me, um, the, the ground game would certainly be the approach that they should be looking at um, if they're going to try and look to, um, to, to, to beat each other. Because, uh, you know, they've already had a boxing match and kind of not that interested in seeing a boxing match in the cage just have it as a boxing match so I, I want to see how they adapt and learn the other elements of the 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 complete sport of MMA so that's an interesting one for me um but we'll see how quickly that comes together I don't think it'll happen in the PFL in all honesty I think what they'll do is similar to what um Canelo and Charlo are doing at the moment they'll do a big battle of undisputed champions in boxing because it's it's a big draw for women's boxing is that fight and especially when they're both holding the amount of titles that they're holding at the moment to put them against each other I find it very difficult to envisage that a fighter is able to train in boxing but also in a completely different method of sport and then not get that confused so like you say I think it would just essentially be a boxing match in a cage and what's the point when there's no titles on the line in that it's nowhere near as big of a draw and there's significantly less money than if they just go and do it in boxing you know where you disowned and sky sports etc yeah and i feel like the pfl are plugging the promotional side at the moment getting that prick jake paul involved obviously they've signed francis and he's going to walk through anyone he gets i feel like they're just trying to make a lot of these sign-ins on the back of getting uh, some publicity, getting some buzz around them without there being any realistic chance of some of these fights coming to fruition. So I I wouldn't disagree with you that that might be one of these that's talked about, given a little bit of, oh, this is what's going to happen, this is what's planning, but we don't ever see it actually take place. So um, wouldn't necessarily disagree with you on that one. Liverpool are going to lose Mohamed Salah. Oh, no. What are you going to You're do? In a fucking dream world, mate. You are, are you in a fucking dream world if you think Mo is going to sign for those clowns. Now, like, he's your I, best mate. He is, me and Mo, fucking chums. Um, now, the thing that I did read that was interesting, which I thought I wonder how this would land with pretty boy Ronaldo, is the rumour is they're actually going to pay him more than Ronaldo. And Ronaldo, we know, loves to be the top dog uh, and won't take that well. The figures that I read was 240 million over a three-year deal. Uh, I mean, he's already on 350 grand a week at Liverpool, but that would translate to over 350 grand a day. Um, Mo's not one of those cunts, I'll be honest with you. Mo's not a money-chasing person yet at his age. He's got two years of his current deal at 350 grand a week yet. Now, if we were having this conversation in a year's time and they offered us a silly sum of money um, and offer him a silly sum of money, I could possibly see uh, a slightly different uh, situation. But I will take a bet with you now. There is not a hope in hell Liverpool let him go or he wants to leave. He's just overtaken Stevie G as our, I believe it's seventh highest scorer uh, ever. And he is on about 180-odd goals. He's never going to be number one. Ian Rush has got something ridiculous, like 343 goals. But Roger Hunt, I believe, is our second highest scorer 
on about 229. So Mo is not um, two seasons with us. Mo could easily put him down in itself in, in folklore as the highest scorer ever. So, uh, or second highest scorer ever for Liverpool. So my own view is what an in, a year's, in a year's time, I, I, I could see it maybe. It wouldn't surprise me. Not not a chance in hell he goes this year. No matter what you say, no matter how much you've been trying to wind me up and get under my skin and tell me he's going and our best player's gone. Not a chance, mate. Not a chance. You're still obsessed with these stupid, fake statistics and nonsense like that. No one cares about being a top goal scorer in 2023. I told you about this. Harry Kane had the chance and... Did he follow what you say? Did he follow what I say? Followed what I said. Um, if they come in with a silly bid and offer to change his uh, money or his wealth from what it is currently, even though he's earning an absolute ton of money and we already know footballers are overpaid, etc., etc., if they come in and pay him what you're saying, he'll absolutely snap their hands off. He has no affiliation or loyalty to Liverpool. No footballers have loyalty these days. That's just unfortunate how football it is. So Mo's different, it, mate. You can say not, that. There, there's plenty of cunts, mate. Mo is not one of those cunts that, that you can see him a mile off. You Ronaldo's, you people like that who would. Mo is Mo is different. Mo is a very religious man. He exactly. Is, um, and what and what is the main religion of uh, in Saudi? Well, that, I don't think just being in a country for, surrounded by your fellow religious people is a draw, but. No, don't see it. Don't literally. I don't. Not a chance in hell. He goes. I'll tell you now. Don't see it. No matter what you say. No matter what they throw at him, money wise, most ain't a hundred percent. He is is the most loyal person in the world. Every other footballer, including Messi, is a money grabber. Mo Salah is not. I, I'm um, not saying that at all. I'm just saying Mo is different to the average cunt and uh, footballer. And when you're on the level of money that he is already on, I don't personally believe that that makes that much. Again, he that, he comes across as that type of person that is not just chasing it for the money. He don't think he would want to play in a clownish team. I think he thrives on being uh, the main man with us and the legend that he already is. Um, I just I just don't see it. I, I might be proved wrong. I've been wrong. I've been proved. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll be wrong again. I'm definitely not going to be wrong on this one. I might be wrong. I might be proved wrong. I'm definitely not wrong. <laughs> in the space of like 20 seconds there. Um, well, we're on Liverpool just because I could see you going red and there's a tear falling from your, your face there. Um, we're a definite red card, wasn't it, McAllister? Fucking ridiculous, mate. I mean, what kind of spastic refereeing are we talking about when they start giving a red card for that? I've seen 20 challenges in the last week that are more deserving of a red card for that. The only thing that remotely makes it better is obviously, and it's actually remotely refreshing to see, is that they overturned it. So they came out and were like, yeah, this is fucking bullshit. So he is ready for Newcastle on Sunday. That'll be a ding-dong of a match because obviously Newcastle came out of the blocks like a train in the first match uh, and then lost to City in their last match. Um, For me, just again, I'm going to get a little bit biased here, but Diaz is looking sensational. Uh, His goal was absolutely fantastic and that's two in two for him. But for me, the best player on the pitch was Slobazai. 
He was absolutely everywhere. He was at the heart of everything uh, we did. And I think I have completely underestimated quite how good a player I think he might be for us. So um, I am super impressed at the moment with him. And I thought he put in an absolutely superb performance. And my favourite thing about Sobosai is he looks like the type of person who would be very loyal to Liverpool. So if someone came in with a a big bid, he wouldn't go anywhere. Look, mate, just because all your fucking players are unloyal cunts and will fuck off at the fucking anything else doesn't (laughs) make it mean everybody's that's the case. Oh, good, good. One player who won't be leaving anytime soon because he's clearly not good enough at all. Uh, Mitoma for Brighton. Um, obviously, that was sarcasm. He has been exceptionally impressive over the last season just gone. He's continued that form into this season. He's he's a very, very good player. What a player. I mean, I'll be honest, it's, it's, it's hard to say this when you've got, all right, De Bruyne is out injured. The players we've got, you've got Haaland, undoubtedly the most informed player in the league for me. Absolutely sensational. Um he won't be at Brighton next season. I think it would be pretty fair to say that. The only thing that I do think that's very obvious, having what I've watched both Brighton games so far this season, taking a bit of a keen interest. My granddad, before he passed away, moved down to uh, East Sussex near Brighton and had a Brighton season ticket. So I've always, uh, since then, had a little bit of affiliation for him. But one of the key points, if you watch him in a game, is his absolutely incredible and almost telepathic understanding with Esther Pinion at left-back. And the way the two of them run, cover and overlap each other is sensational. And if you look at the the assists between each other and what they do for each other, that makes both of them look better players. So the one, the one thing I would sort of caveat, as much as I'm a huge um fan of uh Matoma and what he's doing and think he will be amazing somewhere else i equally think that a big part of that is Esther opinion at the back and if you put a different sort of left back you know someone like a robertson who gives you that outlet going forward uh might work but i i actually think he's one of those that could surprise people that if you just put him in a team on his own with a poor left back, that's not going to have that understanding with him and provide the same movement and, and and overlapping that allows him to cut in for his goal. For example, Esther Pinion makes great runs down the outside that allows him, takes a man away to allow him to cover in. I, I'm not sure he'd look quite as good, but I mean, Esther Pinion looks at the moment, one of the top three left backs in the, in, in, in the league as well. So if you were City, and you were looking to refresh that front line, fuck me, I'd go for both of them. Who are they going for? I saw that they've just signed, is it Doku? Uh, Jeremy Doku from... Yeah, I think it's a bit underwhelming, if I'm honest. I think think it's a good um, signing. He was the person who essentially replaced Rafinha, who they were all saying were better than Rafinha, and obviously you know how highly Rafinha, so I think it's a good signing for him. Expensive. If you, if you look at his look at his stats, though, his, his goal involvements are, are not great. He's got two goals in two games this season. So I mean, he's only young. He's obviously got plenty of time to to improve. But he's he's hardly a goal and assist machine at the moment. I mean, I think he's what is he nineteen twenty? So he's got plenty of time what, to grow into that. Sorry. So he's got two goals in two games this season. 
But I think before that, like last season, it was something like two goals and five assists in 35. So I'm going to say, because uh, a hit record of a goal a game, I'd take that. Ah, uh, in two games, though. Come on, I mean, what the fuck are you talking about? You've got a... a you just uh, said he's got two goals in two games. <laughs> That's an yeah, average so of he's got a, a, t- a goal a game record for two games. That's hardly exactly... Time. That's not exactly the uh, period of time that I want someone to be judged over. But um, yeah, very, very good player. Uh, it would be interesting to see. He, he's he's quite a small chap. So um, he's another one that you could see needing to be put on a nutritional and weight program. Interesting to see how he does in terms of adjusting to the physicality. And was for me, would be one of those type of players that, it might take him a season or so to to get to grips with the Premier League and the physicality. I'm not quite sure we'll see the best of him this season, but time will tell. He's a he is a good prospect, though. Um, like you say, he's only 21, I think. So you're paying for what he is going to become rather than what he is at the moment, and he'll definitely improve. And he's definitely a very very tricky, exciting, and explosive winger. So. Whether it's too much money, that's a question for another day. And the amount of times that I will always slander a, a transfer fee. People know this by now. Far too much money gets spent in football. I couldn't say that anyone is worth what they, they spend on. You look at Caicedo, which I'm sure will come on to ridiculous at this moment in time. Um, but I mean, if you look at just on that point, if you look at Caicedo and he went for 115 mil, what the fuck would you pay for Matoma at the moment? Yeah, well, exactly. Which is ridiculous because Mitoma's not a hundred plus million pound player, but he's definitely worth more than Caicedo at this moment in time. He does so. more for your team. He does yeah. exactly that. I mean, at the moment, if you were Brighton and you sat there and someone's coming in and saying, what, you know, name your price. You, you, they could be saying 130, 140 million. And you couldn't argue with that. It's a crazy amount of money, but at, for, for a season and a half in the Premier League, but purely as a yardstick of Calcedo with that in the ground as a measuring stick, Matoma is infinitely, you know, more valuable to a team than Calcedo and very refreshing for me. I uh, I didn't see his uh, his debut. I understand he had an absolute fucking stinker for Chelsea. So uh, gutted uh, Moses, fuck you. Made the wrong didn't... choice, didn't you? It... <laughs> it's not bitter at all. He didn't really do much. Um... He came on as a sub, so he didn't really have that much time to bed in at this point in time. He definitely needs a bit of leeway, I think. The problem when it comes to these types of players, and this you is... don't get leeway when you're getting 115, I'm sorry. Which, that, is, but... which is what I was just going to say. So the problem is with these high figures, people will automatically judge you based on that figure, which is just wrong. He hasn't chosen how much a club has paid for him and how much the, the club that have sold him have forced that deal to be. So you, you judge him on what he is. I get that's impossible in how football works these days. And inevitably, everyone looks at Brighton and says, well, they only spent two million on such and such. And he is a fantastic player. So that's a brilliant uh, thing. But are we saying that if you've got that much money spent on you, as we've said with Caicedo, what are you expecting from him? That he's going to score a goal every game? Make sure that no, no one can but see you have to. Game, so. yeah, you, you, expectations have to be, you know, again, you can't, have it both ways that if you someone's paying that amount of money for you they are you are gonna have instant expectations and I, I agree with you completely it's not his fault that someone has played that money for him but 
given how good he was. Uh, we know Chelsea under Poch have been very disappointing so far, um, you know, but I think you've got to have, you need to bring your fucking A game. If someone's going to splash £115 million on you, you need to be making an instant impact. Um, no matter the circumstances, and, and, and it, even if that comes down to trying as hard as you can, if that takes, you know, there's a few misplaced passes because you're not quite used to playing with your team members and there there's some kind of things that are failing like that. It's the effort. But from what I understand, he had a, a, a hardly touched the ball and had a terrible debut, whereas obviously for Brighton, he was the, the centre of everything and literally everything came through him. So he's it, it, going to take some time to bed in. He's in a new team. I get that, but expectations will immediately be raised if if he's 115 million pounds paid for him and that's just the way of the world in the sense that you can't have it both ways you've just said that jeremy doku two goals in two games I just checked so it is only one goal in, in two games i think in the league um but you're saying you can't take that as a a sample we're talking about less than a game for Caicedo. so he might go and absolutely be fantastic in the next game they're playing tonight just thinking yeah yeah uh Luton. tonight Luton. Well, there you go. There's a perfect opportunity for him. If he gets started, get straight into that. That's a. He's not going to get a better opportunity, is he? Then to. Well, you think as well. If you were going to, you would start him, wouldn't you? Against a team like that. But I still think Chelsea have gone. We talked about their lack of strategy and this scattergunning approaches. You know, you've you've just spent well over a hundred million on Enzo, uh, who is and Fernandez is a fantastic defensive midfielder. I really don't see the need for them to have Caicedo in there with now the two of them as a double pivot. That sounds very impressive, but then to get Lavia as well, like what, 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 on earth, what the fuck are I they doing? Yeah, particularly, no particularly when you look at them up front and they've got a hundred million pound Lukaku that they can't get rid of on loan and there's never going to play again. And the best thing that they can seem to buy up front. Is, well, all right, they've got Nkuku, who's a very good player and is injured, so you've got to factor that in. But they're playing Nicholas Jackson, you know, who what Starting an underwhelming well. what an underwhelming player to to bring in if you're a Chelsea fan when you spent like three hundred million on midfielders. Yeah, he's starting tonight as well. Is the uh, the rumor? Um, but we'll see. As I say, I, I think if we're saying in terms of Jeremy Doku, it's too early to judge him if he's that good, in the same way, if someone has had a poor debut and it's only two games of the season, you know, Poch is someone to take into account on that as well. He might have a fantastic season with Chelsea. You've got to give him at least, I think 10 games is a good sample size for both. Yeah, yeah totally agree. And clearly there's certainly a, 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 a healthy element of bias and disappointment in that the, the little cunt never fucking sacked us off and chose them instead when we would have been a better option for his career. Genuinely no bias intended because he would have come in straight away for us, been the main man and and, and, and done that. So yeah, I, I text him glee in that, but you're completely right. You can't judge someone on 30 minute substitute appearance, but against Luton, surely they've got to play him tonight unless he's got any fitness issues Tonight would be the perfect chance for him to 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 play, stand out, and every, all of a sudden everyone's like, "What a great player, worth every penny!" Blah blah blah. So you'd think if 
Potch has got to start him tonight, personally. He's got to. I just had a quick look. The lineups haven't been announced yet, but um, so no, it's one of these know. in in the nose on uh, Twitter. They've said that he's starting. You know, one of these fantasy football. Well, it, not being funny, who who considering I did what? Obviously, Liverpool played Chelsea there. Who would you rather start, Conor Gallagher or Caicedo? I think that's a pretty easy answer of uh, every time. Literally a thousand times out of a hundred, uh, you're going to choose. Uh, it depends what you're doing, Kaseido. though, because I get what, he's clearly a better player, but he's a defensive mid in comparison to Gallagher, who's going to be a bit more forward. If you're thinking that, and almost certain this will be the case, that Luton are going to be sat back, you'd surely go for the more attacking lineup. So we'll I think you'd be surprised, though, watching him. He, he does get forward and he does carry the ball forward as well, uh, Calcedo. I, I think sometimes defining him purely as a defensive mid is slightly harsh. I think Enzo would be more of the defensive mid. And if they were playing the two, that Calcedo would be given a little bit more of a licence to to get forward. But, I mean, Conor, I've never been impressed with Conor Gallagher for me. I, I've just just not make the grade for Chelsea. I, I don't think he had a particularly great season, even when he was at Palace, but how he got in that team uh, for, for, for against Liverpool as a starting player, I will never know. And given that they're, the money they've spent, the financial fair play and some of the odd, the, the money they were talking that they might have been able to get something crazy like 30, 40 million for, for uh, Gallagher, I'd have got rid of him fucking in a heartbeat. Don't think he adds anything to their squad. What do you think of Spurs under Ange? Because I thought they were quite impressive against uh, Man United. Very much so. Seems to have got an instant bounce out of the players, doesn't he? We we were talking, or you you were talking more than me, that he is that coach that uh, the fan or the players seem to get on with. Uh, he has a Klopp-esque manner about him that the players like him and he, he brings the best out of what he's got. Um Got them playing with a bit of flair and passion again, which is obviously always crucial for the, the Spurs fans, seeing as they win nothing. They pride themselves like West Ham. They don't ever win anything, but like to pride themselves on allegedly playing good football. But um, they were definitely the better team against Man U from what I saw and deserved the victory. So um, good start from Ange. I, I, you know, I think you... We disagreed on that one, that you, you felt he was a, a pretty good appointment. I felt he was underwhelming, uh, given his background that, you know, he'd managed in um, Japan. I think it was in Australia before Celtic. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, two games in, it's very hard to judge and it will see as that, that the season plays out. But um, certainly seems to have got an instant reaction from the players so far. Especially considering the handicap of we've just sold arguably your greatest striker, one of your greatest strikers of all time in terms of your club to Bayern Munich. So for them to put in that performance shortly after all that went down, I, I were impressed with it. I think it shows mentality that that club has lacked after, uh, you know, for so many years. Everyone always says it's very Spursy this, it's Spursy that. Um, yeah, they they just need to crack on. I think it'd be nice to see them challenging a little bit more this season. And this is Spurs. It's no, no one ever wants to see Spurs <laughs> do well. What you're talking about? But what, I don't I mean, mind Spurs. ultimately, uh, Levy needs to stick his hand in his pocket, doesn't he? He's just got fucking a hundred million for a striker. He needs, you know, Richarlison might do you a job in certain areas for me, and probably gets a little bit of a hard time given he wasn't really given very many starts last season, but. 
they've got to go out and buy someone of some significant quality to try and replace those goals from Keane. And I feel that they're not Keane. doing that. Uh, Keane, Keane, sorry. They're, they're not doing uh, Ange any favours or really um, helping him out if they're not going to allow him to invest in a very, very decent striker. And we talked about it before. They've been linked with a guy called um, Gift Orban from Belgium. Sensational goals to game record, even though he's only had one season in Norway and one season in Belgium. But looks, looks as I say, I've heard him described as the next uh, Osserman. And from what I've seen, uh, very, very good player. So if I were them, I feel that they should go out and uh, maybe go for him. They've rumoured about 30 million. So sounds about levy every levy sort of range that he gets a hundred million in and then spends thirty percent of it, but I feel like they need another option up top and a more genuine out and out striker than Richarlison to give them a, a a proper chance for Ange to try and show the fans and 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 do well city obviously run very close by Newcastle, but inevitably beat them um, as is expected every single game that you see City play you always expect them to win what do you think to Newcastle this season so far? Well hit and miss I mean obviously a very good performance you know came out and blew the blew the doors off Villa uh, didn't they in the opening game and looked sensational uh, I think they put up a, a relatively good struggle against City obviously they only lost by the, the single goal but um, I, I the critical time for me is when the Champions League starts back up because I still feel that their squad is a little bit tight in terms of players to manage the the three games a week. So I think they need to have a good start to the season. Obviously, we're going to smash them on Sunday uh, and, and, and ruin that. But um, I think they need to get as many points as they can and uh, the big question for me is how they handle the the rigours of the Champions League. And I think a big element of that is the draw. Do they get a, a really bad draw where they get a team, you know, two teams significantly far away in Europe? So there's a lot of travelling involved. Or do they get a bit lucky where they get, you know, a French team, a German team and a, a Scottish team? You know, something like that where they haven't got a lot of travelling, which which may well diminish some of the fears that I've got for them. But yeah, I, I think the the time that, that to, to judge Newcastle and how well they're doing will be sort of four or five games into the Champions League group stage. Because um, I think if you look, I can't remember the stat off the top of my head, but there was a very well uh, published stat that if you ever looked at the win record of Premier League teams after European Cup games... It's horrific. And that goes across all teams, Man U, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, when they've been in there, they have an incredibly low percentage of win rates after playing in Europe, which does just kind of solidify my point that that has an impact. So for me, it's a little bit too early to tell. They've had one very impressive game, um, you know, which you can't take away from them. But ultimately... Um, I think it's, uh, let's see how they get on in the Champions League and, and come back to it at that point. Uh, just speaking of City as well, just going back to that, they're one of the two bigger transfer news of uh, this week. They 
put in a bid of 47 million for Wolves midfielder Mateus Nunes. I know this is one of the midfielders that we discussed you potentially going for uh, in the transfer window. That obviously hadn't materialised. Um, £47 million. I know that they obviously bought him for about 42 so it hasn't Not really a chance shown any increase. That. Yeah. I mean, and very, very, very decent player last season. I mean, I, I would have been quite happy taking him at Liverpool. Um, I don't think he is a uh, straight defensive midfielder. So I don't think we could have put him in the Fabinho role. I feel he's more of a... A slobber's eye, you know, a bit of an eight, does a little bit of everything back and forward. So I don't think personally now we would pursue him. Um, uh, and I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure if he's the right type of player for what they're looking for, which is ultimately a short-term De Bruyne replacement. One thing that I did read, which I thought was quite interesting, was a German uh, article which said Pep, uh, Pep, someone within the know, had basically said Pep was really devastated that Liverpool had got Slobberzai because apparently if Liverpool hadn't and Slobberzai had stayed, Slobberzai would have been their number one target to replace De Bruyne in after De Bruyne's injury, apparently, yeah. from someone in the know. Is it um, Raphael, was forgetting, Hostein, Hogstein? Um, um, the the chap that's on Sky, but does a little bit of uh, you know the the German expert. But I read an interesting thing from him that Pep always highly rated Slobberzai, kept a keen eye on him, and undoubtedly would have gone for him as his uh, panic buy, if that's the right word, since De Bruyne got his injury. So um, I thought that was interesting, and that obviously gave me uh, a nice little little warm feeling inside that. If Pep thinks uh, he's good enough to deputise for De Bruyne, uh, that certainly means that he's good enough to play for us. Well, he's a brilliant player, Slobberside, as you say. And one of the things that we discussed in the uh, top signings video that we did, or the top signings uh, episode that we did, was I thought he was a better buy for you than McAllister. And you said McAllister over him. But I think he's the, the one of the best purchases this summer. His transfer fee... Again, not to go into this too far, is too much. But every transfer fee these days is too much for me. Um, but you can certainly see why Liverpool have spent that sort of money on it. And if City are saying that, and if uh, Pep's saying that, then, you know, absolutely. I can see why he's, he's an excitable player. Uh, and he's got the uh, Liverpool fans excited as well. Uh, the only thing, other things that I just wanted to mention, because these clubs always get overlooked, don't they? Sheffield United have agreed an £18 million fee for uh, Aston Villa, 21-year-old striker Cameron Archer. Cameron Archer was very, very good for Middlesbrough in the Championship last season. He scored 11 goals and got six assists in 23 appearances. And apparently there was some interest from Luton as well to try and get his signature. Um, Leeds were in for him at one point and obviously blown out of the water as soon as Premier League money and Premier League football comes a-calling. Um, but I think this is a really good buy for him. I think this is going to be one of those that goes under the radar, a little bit like Hamer at Sheffield United. I think that's a fantastic purchase. I think he'll get an absolute hatful of goals. I think uh, 10, potentially, which would be good, obviously, for a... Is a 10 a hatful these days? It is, for a, it is for a newly promoted team, yeah. I mean, they needed to obviously strengthen, given they sold their two best players in terms of Ndoye that we said uh, to Marseille, they needed to replace him. I think you're right. So it's probably a good signing for him. Um, 
to be fair for anyone playing for Sheffield United in the Premier League, it's probably hard to get more than 10 goals. That's probably a pretty good target to have. Um, I thought, uh, again, probably you're right. It's not a bad bit of business. Um, the only other one that I saw that um, I was going to mention and has now escaped me in terms of lower teams uh, buying someone. And I can't even remember who I was going to say now, but there was an- <laughs> another lower league team that I saw purchase someone that I thought that actually could be quite a good signing. But um, Lower league team or someone in Premier League? Sorry, lower, lower Premier League team, but it will come back to me, I'm sure, uh, shortly. But it escapes me and it's not in my notes. While you're thinking of that, and that's poor prep, Ian, poor prep, um, did you see that Bournemouth have apparently readied a £25 million bid for Dakar at Leicester? I didn't, but I did read that... Leicester were open to letting him go prior to the season closing. I mean, given his very highly rated when he was at Salzburg, uh, didn't really live up to that last season, even though he was playing second fiddle to Jamie Vardy. 25 mil feels like they're overpaying a little bit, but I definitely do think there is a decent player there. I mean, he's electric in terms of pace. Very, very quick player. Um, And... um, but equally, you say that one thing I did read is I'm sure I did read uh, an article today that someone at Bournemouth had come out and said that was it for them in terms of signings. and They weren't going to sign anyone else. So um, that'd be an interesting one to, to follow through and see if that, that, that happens. We've got a heavyweight title fight this weekend, Ian. Finally, some heavyweight title boxing. And no one cares about it because... Not quite what we were hoping for, is it? (laughs) Dubois and Usyk this weekend, so tomorrow for us. uh, It's the IBF, WBO and WBA heavyweight title fight. Um, This is... I'll I'll let you give your opinion on it first and then I'll give mine because it'll be a a lovely, depressing way for us both to end this episode. Uh, I think it will be a walkover for... (laughs) Usyk, I think Usyk will outbox him for three or four rounds, wear him down with his voluminous punches and take him out in probably the fifth or sixth. Yeah, and I wouldn't disagree at all. Uh, David Hay has come out and obviously he is very knowledgeable when it comes to boxing, uh, has said that Daniel Dubois can pull off the upset if he put, uses the right tactics. Um, I'm assuming those tactics are to pray to God for a miracle, or that Usyk knocks himself out somehow. Um, this is the last chance for Dubois in a, a title opportunity for me. He quit against Joe Joyce. I know he said he didn't, but he did. And I think we both agreed with that. And when we watched this at the Christmas party last year, he nearly got knocked out by, it was like a second tier heavyweight. I think his name was Kevin Lorena. Um, nearly got knocked out in the first round. Like against... I mean, he was put down, wasn't he? He was put down before he did eventually win and put down on his ass straight away. Um, but, yeah, it, um... it was really poor. It would have been a fantastic upset. But yeah, if he does lose on Saturday night, I think it's un- unlikely, sorry, that he'll ever claw his way back to this point. Um, WBA has made it very, very easy for him to, to come back from his loss to Joyce, in all honesty. He obviously, well, I'll tell you the names that he's gone through. Uh, Trevor Bryan, Bogdan Dinu, Joe Cusimano, all the top heavyweights that uh, have uh, allowed him to get this opportunity. All of those frightening punches that you <laughs> mentioned. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I I will watch it. I, I I'll be honest, I won't get up for it, but I will definitely watch it. But um, you don't I have to think get up for it. it's, it's not that. It's only uh, it not it's a late like one. Ah, oh, right, okay. Ten or but, um, maybe I'll, I'll I'll watch it then. But it's going to be a walkover for Usyk. It's just going to be another notch on Usyk's belt. Um, and just again, as you say, hammers the the point home that Debras will never be a elite level heavyweight, you know, never top five in the world. He's always ranked six, seven, eight, and can't see him sort of hitting, breaching that ceiling, if that's the right word. You know, that's his glass ceiling being at that level, personally. Um, especially after his last couple of showings, I know he had quite a lot of promise. Um, you know, in his initial career was laying people out, but like you say, it wasn't exactly the highest caliber of people he was he was he was doing that too. So um walk over for Usyk and uh easy money in the bank and um we'll wait and see um what happens afterwards if uh finally Usyk can get a more deserving challenger. Well, that's what I was just gonna ask. So just before we close out this show. Does this lead to him finally fighting Fury when obviously Fury does the little sideshow that he's doing um, later down the line with Nganu, or is it just going to be a matter of they'll put him up against Hergovic or he'll get up against um, Big Bang Zhang when he sparks out Joe Joyce a second time? I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I could actually see Usyk retiring and retiring in a kind of Look, I've got nothing left to prove. You know, I've smashed AJ. Um, you know, the fight everybody wants to see. Um, uh, Tyson is clearly running from me and doesn't want a piece of me uh, whatsoever. So, um, I mean, do you go Usyk Wilder? Uh, you know, is that the only other one that people might want to watch just in terms of the, the, the completely different styles of a wild crazy puncher against a, a real technician. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me, to be honest with you, if he doesn't have a couple more paydays and, and call it a day, uh, Usyk. I don't think he probably needs the money now. He's made some some big money. Um, and I, I just I, I just think he's if he's not if it's not Fury, I'm not quite sure his heart will be in it. I could see him fighting Wilder. Obviously you've got to see Wilder AG first before any of that, that looks like it's going to be the next fight on the cards. That's a bigger draw than anything else that's scheduled, obviously, other than Usyk Fury. That would be nice to see that next year. But there were also rumours that the, the Saudis are trying to restart this mega event again. Card, I did see that and put them all on. Um, yeah. But Fury's just not going to take it. He's very clearly and undoubtedly running from Usyk. And I just don't see that fight ever happen. There's about as much chance of that fight happening as Mo, Mo leaving this summer, uh, I would say. So um, I think we're get, the world is going to be left with that what if question of why did that never happen? And it will go down as one of the greatest what if. disappointments yeah. uh, in heavyweight history that it didn't happen. And um, ultimately, it's the fans that lose out whilst Fury's being a pussy. Uh, I'm fucking around and doing a fucking stupid TV series. I see now a couple of my mates have told me it comes Netflix. across as a right twat. Um, yeah. Definitely won't be bothering watching it myself as I've gone right off him because I used to love him. I used to love his style. I just think he's come across as an absolute stone cold pussy, the way he's handled these negotiations with Usyk. 
I told you that I'd find a way to end this uh, podcast on a very negative and depressing note. So with that in mind, as always, thanks for listening and we'll speak to you next week.